Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to the Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome podcast listeners to another episode of Deeds in the Desert. We are so excited to be back in the studio. Joining me is Carrie Cook, president of Ignite Funding and Pat Vassar, director of underwriting. And today we have the fourth and final part of the Default Strategies series, which is the foreclosure to owning process. Today they're going to be talking about what happens at Ignite Funding when we take back a property through a trustee sale. So, Carrie and Pat, welcome back. Thank you so much, Maddie. We're glad to be back. I've got Pat Vassar sitting across from me today. Pat, welcome back. Thank you, ma'am. Here we are. What are we on? Segment four? Something like that. Segment four? All I right. lost count. I wasn't part of them all, so I, I, you know, yeah. I'm not quite sure what number you're at. We had Misty fill in with, uh, with me last week. I know you were busy, had some borrowers in town. Not a problem. That's why we, uh, we all kind of work together and conquered uh, segment three, but now you're back. Segment four. Let's do this. Woo. All right. So where we kind of left off was, um, you know, notice of default was recorded. We have come up to the point of filing uh, or excuse me, uh, taking the property back through foreclosure at the trustee sale. Kind of give me an idea of what is going on between you and our trustee that we have hired uh, prior to the foreclosure. Give me a couple of the steps that are along the way. Gotcha. So the trustee first is established when you originate a loan through the deed of trust process. In the deed of trust, there's three major components. There's the trustor, which is the borrower, the trustee, which is a third party, and the beneficiary, which is Ignite Funding FBO C Exhibit A, which lists all the investors. In this case, the third party is the trustee. We typically will will do a substitution of trustee, put in a, a more seasoned and sophisticated trustee prior to uh, the notice of default and prior to going through the whole foreclosure process because it is a fairly intricate ordeal that we need to make sure we are uh, completely above board. There are very specific rules and regulations you must follow. And if you don't, it'll negate the whole process. So we put somebody in place that knows what they're doing. And that trustee will kind of hold our hand, for lack of a better term, throughout the process. Uh, what we will be doing is make sure we get a TSG, which is a trustee sale guarantee. Within that TSG, it is a guarantee from an attorney or a trustee, uh, typically attorney, that is promising us the ownership and title of the property if we follow certain rules. And obviously, we'll follow those rules throughout the process all the way up to the foreclosure sale and even uh, a day or two after the foreclosure sale to make sure things get buttoned up correctly. Makes perfect sense, right? Um, getting that third party involved. I, when we do foreclose on properties, it's happening in different counties, different states. All of them are different. Absolutely. All of them have to cross their T's and dot their I's differently. And that is why we engage somebody. But really, it's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in all the situations that you and I have been in here at Ignite Funding, it has been very specific. That is That is their role. That is their purpose. That is pretty much it. Yes. So that's why we engage those individuals. Let's talk about, um, you know, leading up to the foreclosure. Um, we've been to a few, but not very many. Right. 
Um, and I'm kind of proud to say that we haven't been very many, right? It's so obviously you're doing something right, Pat. Good job. Um, <laughs> First compliment I got last year. <laughs> no, but realistically, you know, we haven't been involved in a whole lot of these. But leading up to that, uh, there is something that you and I talk about, and it pertains to the bid amount. Let's talk about the bid amount. How do we come to the conclusion of what our uh, starting bid will be? And, you know, how how do we get to what that what we will accept as far as, hey, throw the gavel, we're taking the deal, we're walking out of here. Yeah. And so those bid instructions we give to the trustee leading up to the foreclosure sale, usually, I don't know, maybe three to seven days prior to the foreclosure sale. So they have an understanding of what we want. The minimum bid can be whatever you want it to be, a dollar, one cent, zero. You, you can put in whatever you want. The max bid you can put in is the total amount you are owed plus penalties, interest, late fees, everything in the kitchen sink. You can throw it in there. The max dollar amount you can charge the borrower through that day, through the foreclosure day, is your max bid. But it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. Your max bid is what you want it to be. Because if somebody bids more than your max bid, you won't become the owner of the property. In all intents and purposes, you sell the property for that dollar amount at the foreclosure sale. So there are instances in which you wouldn't want to bid the most you can. Maybe it's a property that you don't think you're going to be able to to add any value. You're not going to be able to sell it on the open market for any more than you would on the trustee's uh, foreclosure sale. Mm -hmm. And so you're willing to take a little bit of a haircut just to get out of the deal. That usually doesn't happen, but it's possible. Many banks do that just because they don't want to own the property. They'd rather just sell it right there and be done and over with it. In our case, uh, we typically don't do that. Um, Very rarely would we do that. And most of the time, we will set up instructions in which will put us over what we believe the max bid amount, the max bid that a third party would offer would be. It won't be more than we are owed, obviously, Mm -hmm. because we're Mm -hmm. not allowed to do that but it will be more than anybody we believe is willing to pay. The art part comes in the form of, depending on the county you're in, your max bid sets the market price of the property that day. And if you have a personal guarantee and you're going after an efficiency judgment, you want that to be as low as possible. You want it to sell for a dollar, because if they owe you a million dollars, that difference between the dollar you bought it for and the million dollars you owed are are owed is the deficiency and therefore that's the amount you can go after the borrower in other counties the amount that you bid at the trustee sale is irrelevant and so we need to be cognizant of those rules and make sure that we know what the county and sometimes uh, state requires and kind of bid within those instructions so let's break all that apart that was a lot <laughs> Let's talk about the minimum bid amount. We have a $4 million property. Um, the minimum bid amount starting at, I mean, this is kind of funny, but not really. If you know that your max bid is $4 million, you don't want to start it at 200000 right? Because then you're going to have a bunch of people in the room thinking that you're going to sell it for a distressed price because they don't know the max. Is that true? That is 100% true. So I just want to make sure everybody that's sitting out there in the audience waiting, you know, here's this property. They've all gone and looked at it beforehand. They're like, yeah, I'd love to have that property. They see the minimum bid at $250,000. Well, you might have thousands of people show up, Mm -hmm. right? Thinking I'm going to be able to steal this thing. These people don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So what what do we set as far as a, a minimum bid amount and those minimum bid amounts and increments going up? 
get, just give me an idea. Do we just cut to the chase? Do we try to side, try to see who's in the audience, who's bidding, who's interested in the property? Give me some of that art and science behind this a little bit. Yeah, what we want to do is establish a bid in which at least one person bids on the property because then it shows if we were to go after a deficiency mm -hmm. that it was an actual bid and it wasn't some pie in the sky number, an unrealistic number, one in which maybe didn't even have any buyers at the, the auction and therefore it shouldn't be justified. We want somebody to bid on the property. So we'll open that, that uh, threshold low enough to entice at least one person out there to bid on it. Because if we go after the deficiency, we can show the judge, yes, there were bidders. We weren't the only one. Mm -hmm. There were other people mm -hmm. wanting to buy it. We just happened to buy it for the most. No one else thought it was worth as much as we did. And our max bid is what we were willing to, to pay for it. Because of that, we started out fairly low, and then we put bid increments in place that will bid it up until our max bid. In an auction format, which this is, that max bid is kind of the reserve price. When you're at an auction, you don't know what the reserve price is, mm -hmm. but you will be notified when the reserve is met. Mm -hmm. Here is the exact same way. Bidders will bid up. They keep bidding up until the trustee says the max bid has been met, and the next person to, to uh, put in an offer wins the property. Yep. Winner, winner, mm. chicken dinner. That's right. So I'm going to take you back a little while. Oh, well, this is 2019. 2019. Okay. Um, we were in Utah and we were at a trustee sale. I believe it was on the steps of the courthouse. Correct. If I remember correctly. And I remember, you know, this cloak and dagger, you know, we're sitting across the street. We're in the car. This is kind of, this is sounding really weird, but whatever. We're sitting in the car <laughs> and we're kind of watching, right? Because here we are on the outskirts of the courthouse. This isn't something where I don't know what people are perceiving in their head, but all trustee sales are handled a little differently. Mm -hmm. Most of the ones we've been to are all outdoors, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Why are they all outdoors? They're not always outdoors. It's just kind of wherever it's done huh. here in Las Vegas. It's almost always outside, even yeah. when it's 120 degrees out, which yeah. is weird. Utah, it's right in front of that, uh, the courthouse on the steps. Yeah. So it's inside, but not <laughs> kinda, really inside. Yeah. yeah. Kind of. <laughs> it's covered. Yeah. It's covered. There you go. It's covered uh, for the from the elements. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll get, but let's go back to the story. Sorry. A little off topic there. It just, I just thought about, gosh, this is all happening outside. So anyways, we're sitting in the car, right? And we're watching. We're watching the individuals that are walking in. I'm maybe sizing them up a little bit, seeing if there's anybody there that we know. If not, getting an idea of volume, of interest, you know, what's going on with this particular property. Um, you could also sit outside the property if you want, like a day before and watch people go by, go by which is kind That's of interesting fun. to watch as well, right? Mm -hmm. Just to kind of get an idea of like, you know, people are out there wanting to buy. Um, obviously, at a trustee sale, they're looking for a deal in mm -hmm. most cases, unless, you know, it happens to flank another property that they have. And they're like, I've got to have this. This is great for expansion. But we sit there and we watch. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we get out of the car. <laughs> I get out of the car with Pat Vassar business cards. You get out of the car with Pat Vassar business cards. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we start mingling. We start getting to know who's there. Um, initially, it's probably not, hey, you know, where the people are taking back the property. It's more just getting to know who's there. And at some point in the process, we start gravitating towards um, the gentleman who's running the trustee sale for us that we have employed. 
And he is kind of nodding his head at us as we're kind of working through the process, right? Everybody in the crowd starting to figure out, hold on a second. Those are the two knuckleheads that just walked around introducing themselves to <laughs> me. Um, you know, and they, they start to identify who they should talk to after the trustee sales over. But during that period of time, like you just talked about, the, those bid amounts and, and getting them bidding and getting them excited lets us know who's interested as a potential buyer. Absolutely. And so it's a big deal to make sure that you're there at those sales. This isn't something where we just kind of, you know, hire somebody, they show up, they get the property back for us and we go to find another day. No. I mean, part of our exit strategy is finding somebody to buy this property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, situation for us to be in, but, uh, Ignite funding does attend those trustee sales just Every for all of our investors out there, um, because it could be a potential exit strategy. Absolutely. And, and even if it doesn't become an exit strategy, it's people in the know, people that are interested. And if they were unable to purchase that day for a multitude of different reasons, mm -hmm. now they have our direct line and they can make a deal with us outside of the trustee sale. Now we own it and we can sell it to whomever we want. Now we have a captive audience. We have people that we knew and know were willing and wanting to buy the site, but for whatever reason, maybe they didn't do it. Maybe they weren't willing to go up as high as we were on our max bid because they didn't have enough time to look into the, the issues associated with it. They didn't have enough time for the due diligence. They didn't have the money available that day because mm -hmm. you have to have a check available, ready mm -hmm. to go. Um, there's other reasons that they may not have been ready to close that day and could be in a week, in a month, in a few months. And so you're, to your point, you know, we'll talk to everybody that's there and we will engage them and let them know we are sellers. We mm -hmm. don't want to own this property. Mm -hmm. We will be sellers right after we, we buy this. Yep. Absolutely. So trustees says, Hey, property comes back to ignite funding. Uh, how soon after that trustee sale do we take possession of that property? It's not legal until it's recorded. Usually depending on the County, it's 24 hours after the auction. Uh, during that period, the the borrower could still bankrupt the entity. There could be other liens that pop into place. There could be other issues that arise. So I usually don't uh, sigh a, a breath of relief until 24 hours after the trustee sale, at which point we have a recorded deed of reconveyance of a trusteed, trustee uh, selling the property back to us because mm -hmm. we were the highest bidder. Yep. Okay. So have we ever been in a situation where we're at one of these sales and something changes last minute? Absolutely. There's been a few times. One time we went to the property right before we were to foreclose and found running water running through it. A pipe had burst that we were unaware of. It happened that morning of the, the sale. And, you know, that changes what that property is worth instantly. Uh, another time we were going to foreclose on the property and the borrower paid it off within an hour, probably within 10 minutes of our uh, auction, of our mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of our trustee sale. So yes, things can happen. Things do happen. And they're all things that we can't con necessarily control and cannot predict. I don't know if a borrower is going to pay it off. I don't know that the pipe's going to burst at the, the property the day of the foreclosure sale. These are all things that, you know, we really don't know until we, we we witness it, which is the reason, to your point, that we attend the auction and we will look at the property before going to the auction just to make sure it's 
it's what we thought it was when we were since we were last there, which is usually just a few months prior. Can I tell a story about that house, the water? Sure. I'll never forget this. So Pat and I pull up into this cute little community. It's in a cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. I believe it was winter. Definitely. Um, and I also believe there was a scooter um, that Pat Vassar jumped on, probably was one of the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, come on, guys. We're in a car for 12, 14, 16 hours some days, right? So you got to have a little levity here. Jumps on the scooter. He's all excited. He's going to drive this scooter right into the <laughs> partially completed home. Drive this scooter right up into the, the garage, which there wasn't one at the time, right? So we're just driving right in the garage. And I said, Pat, do you hear that? And he's like, what? And I'm like, there's running water. And we both looked at each other like, oh, shit. That, that was right. I mean, we both looked at each other like this cannot be a good thing. So we, we get into the house and it was not a good thing. There was water coming from just about every crevice in the ceiling. Uh, mm-hmm. We were downstairs now. And we quickly realized that the water was coming from upstairs, obviously, because it's coming through the ceiling. And the stairs at the time were still wood, right? And we have no idea how long this water has been sitting there. So in true Pat Vassar fashion, he says, I'll go up the stairs after you, Carrie. <laughs> we, <laughs> I proceed to head up the stairs first, as any good boss would do, right? Sure. Paving the way for my employee. And we get upstairs and somebody had um, plugged the bathtub and started the water. And it, we had no idea at that point how long it had been running. But um, it it was not a good situation. It definitely was not a good situation to be in. And it did change our our max bid on, on that property of what we were willing to accept because Pat and I both, you know, could quickly calculate what those costs were going to look like, especially given the fact that we had really no idea how long that water had been running. Mm-hmm. And the, the structural integrity obviously um, had been um, compromised to some degree. So a funny story, not a funny story, but you, know, you just have those moments where you're like, oh, no. So an unfortunate situation, but we got out of that one. It took, a, it took a little while. That one was challenging because there was a lot of remediation that needed to be completed in order for us to eventually you know, sell that property. So we had that one for a while. We did. But one of the good things is we also had insurance on the property, right? And that insurance kicked in and, and paid for a vast majority, actually paid for all, all of, of those, mm-hmm. those issues to get it remedied. So it, although it did take more time, uh, one of the, the insurance policies we have for protecting our investors is mm-hmm. actual insurance, property insurance for these unfortunate situations. And although it took a little time to, to fight the insurance company for it, yeah. we ended up doing that and, and getting it done. It all worked out. It did it work all out. Worked out. Um, okay. So now we have the property back. Congratulations, Pat. You have just gone from uh, portfolio management <laughs> to asset manager. Kind of give me an idea of those first... Um, you know, first couple weeks to month, what what is going on? Um, and and we alluded a little bit on the last time we talked about the fact that um, even though we're going through that notice of default 
period where the borrower has to cure, um, that we're always looking for that exit strategy, what mm -hmm. that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. But we really can't uh, implement any strategies until we actually own the property. So just, you know, as we kind of close out this segment, kind of give us an idea of, of what is happening once you have that property back. How quickly are we moving? What are we doing? What are we assessing, et cetera? It really has already started. Uh, the format of, of becoming a property owner happens when we get that trustee sale guarantee and it's recorded against the property, at which point we are now managers of an LLC that the investors own and are owners of that property. So our role, as you said, goes from portfolio manager to an asset manager. We own that asset on behalf of the investors and now can do everything with it that we so choose so long as the investors approve it. One of those things they approve us to do is find a buyer and find it now. So we have already been begun that process, but not too much overtly uh, because we don't own it until that point in time we get the trustee sale guarantee or trustee sale. Uh, once we get that and it's recorded against the property, we own it and we can market it for sale. And that's exactly what we do. We will nine times out of 10 already have a broker in place to list the property, or we will have somebody in place to manage it for us if it's already uh, mm -hmm. rented and an, a cash flowing asset. Uh, but there will already be somebody in place to take it over virtually immediately upon our ownership. And at that point in time, you act just like every other owner and you need to make, secure the property. You need to make sure it does not deteriorate in value mm -hmm. and you need to protect what you have. And in some cases, add value to it. Whether if, if it's like this house you described, we need to remedy the, the issues there to, to make sure we can sell it for the most we can. Other times there'll be small issues with a partially completed home, let's say, you know, we'll have to make that decision whether or not to finish the asset to bring it up to its full sales potential or just sell it as is. And we will do that. And we will enlist others, thir other third parties to sell the property on our behalf. You talked a little bit about um, us taking the property back through a special purpose entity or an LLC. And we, we haven't really touched on that uh, throughout this segment. So just briefly, I'm going to back up um, and make sure that investors understand that as we are nearing the foreclosure date uh, and pretty much within a couple of weeks, right? Because again, borrowers can come to the table last minute. Last thing we want to do is add cost. <clears throat> so I will wait very close to the period of time that we are foreclosing and we will create a special purpose entity unique to that property that the investors, the exhibit A on the trustee as listing all the exhibits, they will be taken in, that exact same exhibit will be taken in as a pro rata membership ownership of that LLC. And that LLC, then those, all of those members, um, become a, a, a voting population. Now, the difference between when we are requesting a ballot for approval from investors of 51%, there is a difference once we own the property. It does ratchet up to 75%. The reason it does is because at that point, um, you know, now now we're playing with we're selling. Now, now there's a little bit more to, you know, what price are you going to accept? And sometimes when we hold properties for an extended period of time, we're unable to sell them. There comes a point where investors become I don't want to say desperate, but they're tired, right? Mm -hmm. They're ready to move the property. So although initially we may not be providing you with offers that are 10 cents on the dollar, um, you know, if we hold the property for three years, 10 cents on the dollar may seem like, 
you know, a direction you want to go in. We want to make sure that we increase the majority from 51% to 75%, uh, because obviously there could be some uh, risk factors of loss in there. <clears throat> I'm not saying that's the norm. I'm just saying that we feel that in those situations, since we are determining a final determination on the return of capital, if it's anything less than 100%, we will come to the investors, we will ballot similar to the same situation we do for a notice of default, but we will require a higher percentage of investors to respond back to us for us to take direction on that. So same rules apply there. Anything over 100% of the original capital invested, uh, Ignite Funding does have the authority as the sole manager of that LLC to act on your behalf, anything above that 100%. So just to make sure investors understand the situation that they are in as it pertains to their membership um, and their ownership in that LLC. So just wanted to clarify that, make sure everybody was aware uh, of how that process works. And then, you know, in our perfect little world, rainbows and unicorns, we'd sell the property. Hopefully we're selling it above, you know, what their original capital amount was. In some cases, we're, we're recoup recouping a little bit more. In some cases, we're not. I mean, it really, truly just depends on, you know, what's going on with that asset, the situation in which we've taken it back through foreclosure, uh, where it's located, timing. I mean, so many variables involved in all of that. But ultimately, the one thing that I think investors uh, need to take away from all of this is we don't just originate loans here. We don't just service loans. We stand behind everything that we do from A to Z. Pat, Cradle to grave. There we go, baby. I knew he was going to say it. <laughs> um, that is a phrase that uh, Pat Vassar uses around this office quite frequently, and it is 100% true. So we will be there with you throughout this entire process. All we ask is have a little patience. Um, we are always working on all of our assets, whether they're performing or not performing. Uh, it doesn't matter to us. But as we pointed out, you know, the last couple of times when they're not performing, you know, there's there's a spotlight on them, and we are working even harder to get your capital back to you as soon as we can, so that you can get those funds back reinvested with us and uh, earning interest and live to fight another day. That's right. Pat, thank you for joining me today <laughs> for our last and final episode on defaults. Not the most glamorous of, a, of topics, definitely not one that we want to be experts in, one that we have knowledge about and we don't have too much hands-on experience in, and we hope to keep it that way for the foreseeable future. Amen to that. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 